Clearly, there is a winner of the quarterback battle after the first four days of Tampa Bay Buccaneers training camp. That and more on today's episode of Locked on Bucks. Your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to this Monday episode of Locked on Bucks, your daily podcast covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. We want to thank you for making Locked on Bucks your first listener view every single day. Don't forget you can subscribe or follow for free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter. I am James Yarko at jarko underscore bucks. He is David Harrison at dharrison82. We are your hosts of Locked On Bucks, credential members of the media covering your beloved Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm the deputy editor of SB Nation's BucksNation.com. David is a staff writer over at BucksGameDay.com, Sports Illustrated's fan nation site covering the Buccaneers. And we are here with you every Monday through Friday, along with our everydayers. And we want to share our appreciation for your continued support of the show. And on, so on today's episode of Lockdown Bucks, we're going to discuss the latest Buccaneers player to hit the NFL Top 100, a scary moment that happened at Bucks training camp on Sunday, and what that could mean moving forward. But we're going to start today by talking about the fact that nobody individually, no quarterback, is clearly winning the Buccaneers quarterback battle, but that's actually a really big win for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers themselves, and clearly the Buccaneers are the winners of this quarterback battle after four training camp practices, the fourth one wrapping up on Sunday and James through four practices. Here are some highlights, a couple of lowlights from what Baker Mayfield has done. Uh, the long presumed starting quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not just by us, but by a lot of people. Uh, day one, there was a 30 yard pass to tight end Kate Otten. Of course, that helped inspire my solo episode uh, that was very Kate Otten heavy, which I'm sure that you appreciated um, as you did not have to be the one praising the Kate Otten uh, on that episode. And you, you let me do that for day two. Few more highlights: forty-yard pass to Raheem Jarrett, who's been having a very solid training camp so far. A fifty-yard touchdown pass to Chris Godwin, uh, but then there was the Nolan Turner interception. There was another touchdown pass to Mike Evans during that practice, and then there was a touchdown pass uh, to end the two-minute drill for the first-team offense. Or actually, I think it was the second-team offense. Baker and Kyle have been—they've been, been flip-flopping, so I don't know exactly which team offense. But Barber, you figure probably second team, right? Day three, another touchdown pass to Mike Evans in the red zone. A little bit of caveat to that one, though. If there was contact and if the Buccaneers didn't care about the other Buccaneers, Mike Evans would have been drilled on that pass. So, you know, it's a touchdown, but eh, not the greatest ball placement by Baker Mayfield there. Uh, Co'Keefe caught a touchdown from Baker on day three, as did Chris Godwin, and as did David Wells, the uh, backup tight end. A 50-yard drive uh, in 11-on-11s was capped off by that touchdown pass. That was a really nice drive, according to Logan Thomas of BucksGameDay.com who has been Logan Robinson of BucksGameDay.com. Logan Thomas is a Washington Commanders tight end. Anyway, day four, there's a 20-plus yard pass to uh, Cade Warner, a 50-yard touchdown pass to Chris Godwin, but then another interception, this time Servasier Dennis victimizing uh, Baker Mayfield. Yeah, and then on, on the flip side, and I know why we did it this way, it's so that maybe uh, our Gator fan listeners will begin to forgive me for the things that I've said about Kyle Trask, because I'm going to talk about all the great things that he has done. Day one, a beautiful thread the needle kind of pass over the middle to Chris Godwin. 
day two. Uh, he had a three and out on his first set of 11 on 11s, but then he throws a touchdown pass in the red zone to Miller. He was also intercepted by Servassier Dennis. Servassier Dennis has been tearing it up. We'll talk about that later. Um, and then uh, passed Godwin and then Kate Otten to the, uh, the 15-yard line. Day three, uh, nice, really impressive rollout completion to Rakeem Jarrett along the sideline. He had a touchdown pass to Daphne. He had a touchdown pass to Chris Godwin. He led a 50-yard drive in 11-on-11s, capped off by another touchdown to Miller. And then on day four, all the touchdowns. All the touchdowns by Kyle Trask. He had four of them to Moore, Wells, Otten, and of course, Big Mike Evans, who uh, apparently made a highlight reel level catch on that one. Uh, so, David, you and I have, we've talked about the competition. We've also talked about our belief that the moment the Baker was signed, it was his competition to lose. They, they didn't yeah. sign him to be a backup. They signed him to be the starting quarterback. Kyle Trask is not going away quietly in all of this. No, no, he's not. And I think he deserves some credit for that because I'll, I'll be honest, like if, if we were stat scouting at this point in time, I think Baker's got eight or nine touchdown passes, but Kyle's got seven or eight touchdown passes until mm -hmm. they both have two, two interceptions thrown uh, in the first four days. I, I would not expect it stat wise to actually be that close. So if you're just looking at the stat box, I mean, they're, they're neck and neck, you know what I mean? And they're throwing touchdowns to the starters. They're throwing touchdowns to the depth guys. I mean, they're throwing touchdowns to receivers and, and potential tight ends that may not even be on this active roster by the time the regular season comes. So I think it's certainly time uh, for us specifically. I think there's a lot of people out there, but I'm not going to worry about them. I'm just going to worry about us. We need to go ahead and acknowledge that Kyle Trask is making this a fight, and he's applying some pressure to Baker Mayfield uh, for doing it. Because as much as Baker wants to talk about, like I know he's, he says he's been off social media for two years and, and all those things. Listen. You don't have to open your Twitter app to know what's being said on Twitter, and you don't have to go on Instagram to know what's being said on Instagram, right? So uh, Baker knows what the what the words are, and I, I applaud him for trying to ignore that noise because that's only going to weaken you. It's not going to strengthen you, right? Uh, but I think it's it's really good to see these quarterbacks pushing each other, and I think it's it gives the Buccaneers some confidence moving forward that either quarterback uh, right now, and again, things could could incredibly change over the next five or six weeks, but for right now, we're just talking about after day four. Uh, both of these guys are looking good in the early going. I do think that there will come some separation and talking to uh, Logan Robinson and Dustin Lewis, who have been on ground there for Bucks game day uh, in Tampa. I will tell you this, that Baker Mayfield, according to their eyes, Baker Mayfield's deep ball does look significantly better than Kyle Trask. That's where Kyle is struggling right now is with the deep ball. I think most of us kind of expected that. But once you kind of get into the crunch zone, the red zone, even inside the opponent 35, stuff like that, that's when it really kind of starts to even out. And that's where you see Kyle Trask really kind of making his mark uh, and keeping this competition interesting. So if that deep ball stays the way it is right now, where Baker's deep ball looks a lot better than Kyle Trask, then I think that's where we're going to see the separation because even if you're going to be a grinded out offense, five to 10 yards here and there, you still want the ability to throw the ball deep and challenge defenses deep because if you don't, by week six, seven, eight, you're just going to see stack boxes and people are going to play within 10, 15 yards of the line of scrimmage and that's not going to be good your offense so i do still think that baker is winning but not by the margin that i honestly expected uh by the end of week one we're not completely to the end of week one but i expected by the end of week one that there would be a, a bigger margin than this. yeah i am I'm, I'm with you 100 and you know honestly that's making is this training camp all the more interesting because like you i figured by the end of that first week 
Baker would have this well in hand. Kyle is is fighting tooth and nail. This is going to be a, a 15 round, you know, slugfest. And again, kudos to Kyle. He's he's making me eat some of my words. I'm not going to eat all of them quite yet, but I, I am having to ease off because you and I have watched him in, in training camp. I've watched him uh, in in all of his NFL training camps thus far, and he has not been overly impressive in those. And but we've also talked about how he's kind of a, a slow developer. It, it's a gradual incline for him. And it looks like he's starting to hit his stride in the NFL game here and, and making this competition truly one that is is legitimate. I do want to make one quick note away from the quarterbacks, if that's OK with you, mm-hmm. um, an update on the other big position battle, of course, between the kickers. So on Sunday, Chase McLaughlin won that competition against Blankenship. And, and the only reason I want to bring this up, David, is because you and I talked about the the competition, I believe it was last week, yeah. and we talked about how McLaughlin kind of struggles from you know the further back he goes, almost along the same lines as Suckup. Dude mm-hmm. buried a 58-yarder in practice on Sunday. Blankenship missed his, his long-distance one. So that one is also kind of kind of even through the first four days as well. Yeah, absolutely. I hope they get into the stadium and kick. I know I know there was a, a couple training camps, uh, you know, a few years back where they did that. And I hope they do that this year because I think that's, you know, making kicks on the practice field is great, but let's get into Ray J. Uh, the, you know, the conditions are a little bit different. Um, let's, let's see what you can do there. And obviously they're going to do that during the games as well, but I, I would like to see some or hear about some practices happening there. So we'll see what happens with the quarterback battles. We'll continue to move forward. We'll obviously see what happens. With the kicker battle, I'm still gang uh, or glasses gang all the way. But what we might not see for a little bit is first round pick defensive lineman Kalijah Cansey. That's coming up next on today's episode of Locked On Bucks, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And that conversation is going to be brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount and bonus bets up to $200. That's right. If you just bet 20 bucks, you'll land $200 in bonus bets whether you win or lose. This is not a lose-only stipulation. You bet $20 on the Tampa Bay Rays to whoop up on the Washington Nationals if they ever play again or when they play again. I don't know their schedule off the top of my head. You will probably win that bet, and you'll still get $200 in bonus bets. That's $200 you can then spend on everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Continuing, continuing, I can't talk for some reason. Right when I start, I just step on myself. Continuing today's conversation here on the Locked On Bucks podcast, David Harrison and James Jarko talking Buccaneers training camp because, of course, we are four days are in. A lot more days are to come every day. We appreciate you being here for all four days of training camp coverage. We appreciate you coming back for the rest of training camp coverage as well. What we don't appreciate is seeing Kalijah Cansey carted off the field with a calf injury on Sunday. Here is a quick, quick video for those who have it's not the Ryan Jensen video, so we feel a little bit more comfortable sharing this. But uh, video courtesy of Dustin Lewis, BucksGameDay.com, uh, and Buccaneers PR staff did give permission to Bucks Game Day. Uh, staff to air the video so here it is if you haven't seen it. all right so for those of you on youtube obviously you just saw for those of you on audio you can't see it and 
you want your, you know, if you if you want to go on Twitter, if you want to go on YouTube and watch the video on this episode, you can freely do that. But it looks fairly simple, James. I mean, he comes off the line. Uh, you know, it's a, it's an individual drill, so it's not necessarily full speed. But he goes around one of the tackling dummies, kind of make it makes a move to to rip past a uh, an offense a simulated offensive lineman comes around, and then as he's getting to the second tackling dummy, just kind of pulls up and mm-hmm. uh, you know hobbles off the side of the field, and you see him, you know, immediately start rubbing uh, that that right calf there, and. Uh, you know, look, Elijah Cansey is not me, and he's in much, much better shape. And what I'm about to tell you is going to prove that. Uh, it kind of reminds me every once in a while, my left calf, I'll be sleeping and I will be woken up by a massive, massive, I'm going to call it cramp, but you could classify it as a strain potentially in my left calf. Um, I've actually had it MRI because of this reoccurring thing that happens. I mean, it happens fairly often. And I mean, and just the motion that Kalijah was having there, I just it just brings me back to when I go through that. Of course, I'm sleeping when this happens. Kalijah Kansi is an NFL lineman doing NFL things, so that shows you the difference in athletic ability there between myself and young Kalijah Kansi. But I, but the reason I tell you that story is because for the next 24 hours, whenever this happens, I'm limping. Like I limp for the next 24 hours after that happens all the time, and even that for the next two or three days it's sore. So, you know, it, it's, it's something that's extremely painful. And again, that's not the same level, but to the extent that I can sympathize with Kalijah, that's the closest I can get because I've never had something like that happen. But then it also reminded me, James, of something that happened in your neck of the woods. And I don't know how much you're paying attention to it these days, but Joe Burrow just suffered what they're calling a calf strain during Cincinnati Bengals practice and had to be carted off the field. So what do you see when you see that video and, and what, if anything, do you draw parallels from uh, Joe Burrow's situation? Yeah, I mean, it looked eerily similar to what Joe Burrow just went through. And, and you know, Burrow is expected to be out for a couple of weeks. He might be ready for week one, but I think that's also the difference between not wanting to put him out there too soon. And, and I will say this, because I think this is going to play a, a big part in what happened, because you brought up the calf uh, cramp uh, <clears throat> as you as you phrased it. The heat in Tampa is brutal. Like most of our listeners know that majority of our listeners are are in the Florida area, uh, are in Tampa, but it's brutal. And I will say when Joe Burrow went down, the heat in Ohio at that point in time was absolutely brutal. It was up over 105 with the heat index. So I think the hydration played a part in both. I'm no doctor. This is just kind of what I'm guessing. And I do think that it ended up being similar to to those cramps that caused a strain. Like quite simply, these guys are, are, they think they're hydrated enough. Most of them are hydrated enough. But when you think you are, you still need more hydration because this stuff is going to happen more and more and more. And that's when we've seen these soft tissue issues with some of the Buccaneers over the course of the last couple of years. So you want Kalijah Kansi to be back you know, as soon as possible, but you don't want to rush him back. And, and he's been getting a lot of buzz. Even Sunday morning before the injury happened, there were multiple videos of what Kalijah Kansi was doing and people talking about, look how quick he is. Look how fast yeah. his get-off is. This guy is going to really impact some games, and then boom, he's down with that calf injury. So you want to make sure that it's back all the way before you send him out there and, and you know, create bigger problems than what he already has. But I'm really, really disappointed that this could delay the development that we saw. So instead of being a week one impact guy, 
Maybe we're looking at week four, week five before he's truly at his, you know, you know, at the level that he seemed to be progressing to. Yeah. So looking at bostonbodyworker.com, which is a, a site about body wellness and taking care of your body. Basically, they define a, a, the difference between a cramp and a strain. So it's the same activity, like your muscle seizes the same way, but a cramp is relatively short. So that's what I experience because it goes away after about 30 seconds or so. And I sit there and I, and I massage it out and it goes away after about 30 seconds or so, whereas a strain lasts much longer. Uh, so that would be the difference. So essentially, that's what Kalaja Kansi is dealing with. And then, like you said, I mean, if, if Joe Burrow, you know, his head coach said that they do expect him to be ready for week one of the regular season. Well, that typically hints that you're not going to see him in the preseason. And I would say if Kalaja Kansi is going to go through the same situation, uh, you know, how significant is it to his impact and his development as a rookie, as a first year defensive lineman? I think it is significant. I don't think it's disastrous. I don't think it's Titanic time, right? It's not, uh, you know, time to completely hit the panic button. Um, but you know, you want to get as much NFL conditioning as you as you possibly can, and especially with the pads coming on next week. Like this is an opportunity to go up against, uh, you know, I don't know about the Ryan Jensen's. I don't know how what the Buccaneers plan on with the you know, pad week and all that stuff coming up. But you're getting to go up against NFL offensive linemen. And look, no offense to, you know, the other players in the ACC that Kalijah went up against at Pitt. But, you know, Syracuse, I mean, they had what a couple of good offensive linemen in the NFL draft this year. But for the most part, most of those teams, three-fifths, four-fifths of your offensive line, not going to the National Football League. So this is your first time to get uh, NFL offensive line experience, and I think it's important and valuable. So if Kalijah misses the entire preseason, I still think the Buccaneers should err on the side of caution, like you said. Make sure he's fully healthy before you go rushing him back on the field. So if he's got to miss the entire preseason, so be it. I would rather have that than have him come back early and get aggravated or an even worse injury, something like that. But let's, let's make no mistake about it, missing your entire training camp and yeah, this is just potentially right so none of this has been said by the buccaneer staff we're just drawing parallels from the joe burrow situation no injury is the exact same so don't take this as a report that collage is gonna miss it but the potential is there and i do think it's worth noting that that is something that certainly 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 could be uh impactful so james next man up so you know the team so obviously we have vita vea right we got we got logan hall on one side we expect to be a starter but you also have uh greg Gaines that came in as a free agent but we also have will golson that came back so What's the what's the what's the front three look like to you? Do you think if Kalijah Canty can't go during this preseason? Um, I'm gonna completely take a cop out on this answer, but I think it's a combination of the two. Like I really truly yeah. do. You brought in great gains for a reason, right? You brought right. him in specifically to help this defensive line. You signed Golston last week, so obviously they know that they're gonna get an impact out of great gains. But then we also know that Gaines is going to get time when Vita needs needs a breather. So there's right. absolutely going to be situations where you got Logan Hall, Vita Vea, and Greg Gaines lined up. But then maybe Vita needs a breath. He's off the field. Gaines slides over. Now you got William Golston coming in. But I would say, you know, when you have Vita on the field, it's going to be probably a pretty close to a 50-50 split between Golston and Gaines depending on the situation. I would think that Golston would be on the field more for run situations, whereas they're probably going to bring Gaines out for third down and and you know have him be part of that frontline pass rush. But I don't see either one of them really asserting themselves as the the full replacement for Cansey while, you know, for however long he's out. It's going to have to be a collective between the two. Yeah, so I think I think the opposite. I think it's great. I think it's William Golson. I think Golson steps up to be the the Kalaja Kansi on the defensive line. I think Gaines, his primary role is, is kind of the second nose tackle, 
on the defense is pretty much solidified. But those special packages, like you mentioned, and that's where you might see they might go to those special packages where Greg Gaines and Vita Vey are on the field together like that. I think you could see happen more often as an as an as uh, an effect of this. So could Gaines get more reps? Yes, absolutely. But I think if you're looking at who replaced Kalijah, I think it's going to be Will Golson. So we'll see how the Buccaneers react to this. Of course, more information will come as as the Bucks work through this, as the MRI results come in uh, and all that stuff. And of course, it's preseason, so they don't actually have to tell you a whole lot and they don't like to tell you a whole lot. So we'll see how much we hear and we'll see how much we see on the ground in Tampa, Florida as training camp continues. But we know we're going to see Mike Evans on the NFL Top 100 because that part of the list is already out. Who else from the Buccaneers roster could make the NFL Top 100? We're going to discuss that next on today's episode of Locked on Bucks. Wrapping things up here on a Monday edition of the Locked on Bucks podcast. And we're talking the NFL Top 100. You know, that list where Tristan Wirfs was in the 90s mm. and somehow Jared Goff was like 62nd. J- Jared, Jared Goff mm-hmm. ahead of Tristan Wirfs. That's a thing that happened. But something else that happened was that Mike Evans came in at number 53 for the second year in a row. Same spot, 53rd. Okay, fine, whatever. It shows that the other NFL players are giving him a little bit more respect than maybe the national media or, I don't know, the Madden evaluators do. And some receivers that were ranked below, well, not some, all of the receivers that were ranked below Mike Evans were Amon Ross St. Brown at 67, Debo Samuel at 61, Garrett Wilson at 74, DeAndre Hopkins at 90, Terry McLaurin at 94, and Devontae Smith at 100. Mm-hmm. Going to, I, I will use this, even though we've spent a lot of time, David, bashing this list. <clears throat> I am now going to use this list as an excuse to claim victory over an argument that you and I have had going back to our walking the plank days when you kept telling me DeAndre Hopkins was better than Mike Evans. And I said, no, sir, no, sir. Mike Evans is the superior. Okay. Okay. First of all, no, listen to me. First of all, back then, DeAndre Hopkins was absolutely the best wide receiver in the National Football League. You can't then say, well, let us let me wait five years until DeAndre Hopkins is older and starting to get to the end of his 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 tenure. And now all of a sudden, because if we're, if we're going to use that logic, I'm going to tell you Terry McLaurin's better than Jerry Rice. Because Jerry Rice ain't running routes, bro. So that's not the case. Today's world, yes, Mike Evans is absolutely better than DeAndre Hopkins. Actually, I'm going to use DeAndre Hopkins as part of my uh, argument point moving forward. But just before you finish that heresy, I wanted to cut you off because, no, back then when I made that argument, DeAndre Hopkins was the best receiver in the league, which, of course, makes him better than Mike Evans. And that's not shade to Mike. That's just how good DeAndre was. No, DeAndre was fantastic. I just that that argument popped up in my brain as I was reading this list. And I'm like, you know what? We're going to make a callback. Uh, you know, you know, our, our everydayers might remember those days. Here's what this reminds me of. And there's no NBA team in Tampa. So I can talk about this. But back when Carmelo Anthony got traded to the New York Knicks every year for like three years, it was like, who won the trade? The Knicks or the Nuggets? The Knicks and the Nuggets. It's like both teams are doing nothing. So neither team won the trade. Well, there's a Nuggets fan that I know, and I'm not going to add him because he's a friend of mine, but there's a Nuggets fan that I know that went, well, Gus Nuggets won the Carmelo trade because they won a championship before the Knicks did. I was like, bro, that was 20 years ago. Right. Like, could you draw some lines like, you know, yeah, like the, all the subsequent moves. Okay, got it. But no, no, that's way too far of a separation. So anyway, get out of here with that mess. Um, 
I will I will tell you this. I you you and you kind of touched on this. So the fact that Mike Evans is number 53 again does show that the league didn't necessarily take his production and just say, well, that's Tom Brady. While right. Tristan Wirfs didn't necessarily get the same benefit of the doubt, or Tristan Wirfs was more heavily penalized for his unit's struggles uh last season. Mike Evans does seem to at least have the respect of his peers to a certain extent. I think the lack of uh what you would what you would call desirable explosiveness, we'll talk about that here in a minute as well, is what's kind of holding Mike Evans back. But when you talk about being a steady playmaker for his team with the ability to work on honestly, I would say two of the four areas of the field, like I don't want to see Mike Evans on an end around. You know what I mean? I just I just don't want to see that happen. And even Mike Evans on a screen, like all the blocks got to be there. You know what I mean? If the blocks aren't there, it's just not going to happen. So you really do have a receiver that can work to the intermediate and the deep parts of the field. Um, but it shows that they have that level of respect for him. However, it doesn't mean, James, that that respect runs the full course because there are certainly going to be receivers ranked ahead of Mike Evans that should not be. Let's go one for one here, but give me your first receiver that you think, and it doesn't have to be particular order, but the first guy on your list that you think is going to come in ahead of Mike that shouldn't be ahead of Mike. Uh, to me, it's going to be CD lamb. I think we're, we're going to see CD pop up on this list. And the, the biggest thing about that is the fact that he's a cowboy. I don't think he's a better receiver than Mike Evans. Um, I don't think that he, I don't want to say that he doesn't provide the threat that Mike does because he is, he's a good receiver, but I wouldn't, oh. I wouldn't take him over Mike Evans on, on Sundays. I just, Personally, I wouldn't wouldn't. take him over Chris Godwin either. I wouldn't. Yeah, well, and I mean, there's players that have already been listed that I wouldn't take over Chris Godwin, and and obviously Godwin's not going to make the list. But um, yeah, CD Lamb to me is is not the the complete receiver that Mike Evans is, and because he's got a star on his helmet and he's marketable, he's going to mm -hmm. end up ahead of Evans on this list. Yeah. So the first thing that came to my mind was Cooper Cup. You know what I mean? And I and I like Cooper. Don't get me wrong. I think he certainly has a a skill set that can be used by NFL teams. But he's not a not an every year thousand yard receiver. And I know there's been some injuries involved, and that's not something you should necessarily punish a guy for. But I think what you see with the Los Angeles Rams and Cooper Cup specifically is when that offense struggles, the entire offense struggles. And I'm always going to lean back to Mike Evans. And this dude did this playing with Ryan Fitzpatrick and suspended Jameis Winston. Mike Glennon threw passes to Mike Evans for his thousand yard season. So when you have a receiver in Mike Evans caliber who is producing despite subpar quarterback play, when you're coming at me and tell me that the guy's starting quarterback was injured for part of or a lot of the season, you lose my sympathy. So Cooper Cup for that period, I think he's very good at what he does, but I think what he does is very limited. And that's not the same for my second guy. But I think, honestly, this guy is very talented in his own rights. One of my favorite receivers in the NFL. But I think when you have to say who – if you want one primary receiver that you think could take over a game, who is it going to be? I take Mike Evans over Stephon Diggs, but I think Stephon Diggs gets a little bit more praise because he's a little bit more of your traditional receiver, whereas he's a little bit more boisterous. He's a little bit more of a showboater, which is very entertaining, and I enjoy watching him play. But I think if you're looking for the consistent producer and the guy who, when your team is down, is going to help pick your team up, I want Mike Evans over Stephon Diggs. So it goes a little bit past the X's and O's, probably a little bit of a leadership we're talking about a little bit of mental fortitude. I take Mike over Stefan because of those differentiating factors. Yeah, and and those are some of the reasons that uh, I put my next guy on the list. He's the lesser of the two 13s, and that is, of course, Los Angeles Charger Keenan Allen. And this guy loves to, you know, pop off at the mouth and talk about how great he is. 
and say, you better start me in your fantasy lineups and I'm going to go off. And then he has two catches for four yards. Um, he's not the guy that's going to rally the team around him. He's not the guy that's going to put the team on his back. He's not the guy that's going to win the jump ball one-on-ones basically every single time. You know, they're starting to look more to Mike Williams for that kind of stuff. So Keenan Allen is is somehow, some way going to end up popping up on this list ahead of Mike Evans. And that might be the residual effect of how good and how captivating uh, Justin Herbert is as the quarterback. And, you know, Mike's not getting that love because it's Baker or Kyle. But as we've talked about numerous times on the show, it doesn't matter if it's Baker or Kyle or Jameis or Ryan or Mike or Tom Brady. Evans is going to be Evans. So, you know, I would take him over Keenan Allen 1000% of the time. And then this last one uh, for me is DK Metcalf. And we know DK Metcalf is an athletic freak. We know he is a physical specimen, but he's also, again, not the consistent guy that Mike is year in, year out, game in, game out. He, he's he's not that dude. In fact, mm-hmm. Tyler Lockett is the more reliable of the Seahawks receivers, and he doesn't get any love. You know, Tyler Lockett mm-hmm. should be on this list ahead of, of a couple of these other guys, and he's not going to get yeah. that love. But DK will because, again, he's a big-time superstar. He's fun to watch. He makes incredible uh, highlight reel plays, but he's not Mike. Yeah. Uh, my final receiver on the list, I think, is going to get ranked above Mike on the top 100. That probably shouldn't be. Is going to be Dolphins receiver Jalen Waddle. And again, this is not a, a diss on Jalen Waddle, so to speak, but it's interesting because when you look at the rankings, there is no single criteria for these rankings, right? Like players aren't told only use last year to predict this year, only use the embodiment of work to predict what's going to happen this next year because. If it was judging last year on this year, DeAndre Hopkins wouldn't even be on this list. And I'm a big fan of DeAndre Hopkins, but let's be honest. Like the dude didn't even sign with the teams right before training camp. Uh, All these other things are happening around him where his production is low and it's not completely his fault. But if we're using just last year, there's no way DeAndre Hopkins is even on this list. If we're using the whole body of work, okay, putting D-Hop ahead of guys like Terry McLaurin, Devontae Smith, certainly. But Jalen Waddell, good young receiver, certainly on the path to become one of the better young receivers in the NFL. Once he hits his kind of veteran stride. But let's be honest, he didn't become a big threat in the National Football League until he had Tyreek Hill lining up on the other side of the field. And we all know Tyreek Hill, if he's not the number one receiver on this list, he's going to be number two, maybe number three at worst. And when you have that guy on the other side of the field and you look at the criteria people are ranking on, I'm sorry, but you have to get knocked down just a little bit. I don't believe that the Dolphins have two receivers that are singularly, singularly better than Mike Evans is as a primary receiver for the Buccaneers. I think if you are taking the entire body of work together, then potentially you could say that duo is better right now than Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, mainly because Chris is still coming back from that injury. I think this year that could change uh, as well, but I wouldn't blame people if they were saying that duo is better than the Buccaneers duo just because of recent history. Um, then I also look at a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, who's number 67 after one year of very good production, but it's one year. So you got D-Hop, the legacy, Amon Ross St. Brown, the new guy, which means the criteria for evaluation is not the same across the board. So I'm going to go ahead and say that Jalen Waddle's getting his flowers a little too early over a guy like Mike Evans. Yeah, and I would 100% agree with you. That was one of the names on my list. And just for the record, some names that are going to be placed above Mike Evans that I'm not really going to argue with too much, in my opinion, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, A.J. Brown, Devontae Adams, 
those guys are going to be on there. So I don't think all six of ours are going to pop up on there, but I would say at least four of these six are, are going to be on this list ahead of Mike and, and shouldn't be. But with that, we are going to bid you all a fair adieu. Make sure you are coming back tomorrow. We are going to have more training camp talk coming at you. We're talking about practice. And uh, the, the Bucks are going to be in full pads on Monday. So it'll be interesting to see if, I don't know, any fights break out like they did in Cleveland uh, over the weekend. But we will be back with that for you. If you have any thoughts, ideas, reactions, anything at all, make sure that you email them to lockedonbuckspodcast@gmail.com or drop them here in the YouTube comments and we will bring them up on the show. We want to thank you for making Locked On Bucks your first listener view every single day, for making us part of your day, part of your routine. And of course, if there's anything else you would like to discuss, you can find us on Twitter at JRCO underscore Bucks at DHarrison82 and the show at Locked on Bucks. Hope you all have an absolutely outstanding day. Stay safe, stay healthy, fire the cannons. We thank you so much for joining us right here on Locked on Bucks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank <laughs> you.